Well, I want to jump into the Word of the Lord. It's always a privilege to teach the Word of God. And uh, we, we've been talking about the subject of temptation. Everyone said temptation. And we've been talking about how to overcome temptation. And we, we've been thinking about uh, the fact that temptation is every Christian struggle. Temptation is not just something that sinners struggle with, but uh, safe folks struggle with temptation. And, uh, and we're going to struggle with it until the day uh, we're with the Lord in heaven. It's just the way it is. Some people have a, a false uh, perception that once we're saved, once we're filled with the Holy Ghost, that suddenly temptation's going to be no more. But that's just not the case. We'll always fight against temptation. But the good news is that we can win the battle. How many believe that? Some of us aren't quite convinced yet, but we can win the battle. Uh, we're, not, we're not defeated, and we don't have to live in fear of it, but we do need to face it, and we do need to fight it, and we do need to win. And, uh, and so today, I'd like to approach the subject of temptation maybe from a roundabout way, and I'd like to talk about the subject of private victories. Look at the person beside you and say, private victories. You know, we all love the idea of killing Goliath publicly. That's kind of the goal, isn't it? We, we like defeating things in public where everyone can see. But most people avoid the idea of killing the lions and killing the bears in private. David was King Saul's favorite musician, and that's something that many people covet. We all like the idea of being a, a popular musician or good at something. But most people are unwilling to practice and work hard in private when nobody is watching, when nobody's looking. David honed his talents in the sheep pastures for for many years uh, before uh, anyone ever noticed his talents. In fact, I believe that it was David's private devotion and his private worship. Everyone said private worship. You know, it's one thing to worship God publicly, and I'm all for worshiping the Lord publicly. Uh, I believe in outward demonstrations of praise. I think that the Bible instructs us to clap our hands unto the Lord. The Bible clearly instructs us to shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Uh, the Bible clearly instructs us to enter into his courts with thanksgiving. Uh, the Bible instructs us to, uh, to worship God on, on the instruments and to make a joyful noise. All of those things. But our private worship is just as important as our outward demonstrations of praise. In fact, I would argue today that your private worship, your private devotion is more important than what you do for everyone else to see. And so I believe that it was David's private life, his private battles, his private victories that caused God to notice him and to anoint him as the second king of Israel. Public worship. I, I want to stress this again because I don't want anybody going away and saying that Brother French uh, is, is against public worship in any way shape or form if you know me at all you know that I love to worship God and I love to worship the Lord with all of you but I believe that we must have a private life of worship a private life of worship Samson to me exemplifies a man who won 
many high-profile victories for God's people. He was a warrior who inspired his friends and caused his enemies to tremble. He obviously maintained an impressive lifestyle of devotion to God. Uh, How many remember that Samson lived? He was born under a Nazarite vow, which meant that he lived a life of extreme separation, a life of extreme holiness for his day. But eventually something broke down in his private life. He started uh, fooling around with a prostitute until eventually he wound up with Delilah, who was able to obtain the secret of his supernatural strength and render him powerless. One of the saddest verses in the Bible to me is where Samson said, I will go out as before and shake myself. But he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. Isn't that heartbreaking? He, he went out and he didn't even realize that he had lost God's power. He had lost his strength. He had lost the favor of God on his life. How many desire to have God's favor in your life? You desire to have God's strength in your life. We can't live holy and separated without the strength of the Holy Ghost in our life. We need God's power in our life in order for us to live an overcoming life. And this is a tragic story to me. You cannot achieve or maintain public victories until you win your private battles. Let me say that again. You cannot achieve and you certainly cannot maintain public victories until you win your private secret battles that maybe no one even knows that you're battling in the first place. Now, I heard the story of Samson and Delilah when I was about the age of my daughter, Julia. She's six now. And from that moment until this week, I've struggled to understand why Samson would give away the secret of his strength. Has anybody else ever been bothered by that before? Maybe I just, maybe I'm just one of those people that contemplate strange things from the Bible. But it's always been strange to me. He knew that Delilah was going to betray him. Think about it. He he wasn't stupid. He knew she had already done it before several times. This this wasn't a new thing. And uh, and I don't think that he was so naive that every time he just thought, well, it's going to be different this time. I've heard people say that, and it just never quite hits me. Uh, Let me share with you what I've come to believe about This perplexing story. I've come to believe that Samson did not fully believe that his strength was entirely from God. And I also believe that Samson was not fully convinced that his uncut hair was really that big of a deal. It looks to me as though Samson was having a private crisis of faith in his way of life. Now, I'm not trying to build a theology on this, and I'm not trying to build a doctrine on this, but when I look at this, I see the story of an individual who had somehow lost his faith. He had lost his way. Something in his thinking, something in his mindset had shifted, and he no longer understood the value of his separation. Oh, I knew it was going to get quiet this morning. 
He had enjoyed the blessings of God for so long that he had almost come to believe that they would always be there for him no matter what. Furthermore, it doesn't seem as if the Philistines really believed that Samson's uncut hair was really that big of a deal either. Because the Bible says that while he was in captivity, they allowed his hair to grow back unhindered. Anybody with me this morning? If the Philistines had really believed that Samson's uncut hair really mattered, they would have been shaving his head every day. They would have had a team of barbers every morning that when Samson woke up, they'd have had the shaving cream and the razor ready because we can't let this man's hair grow back because when his hair is long, he is dangerous and he has the favor of God. But somewhere they lost the value of God's separation and the Nazarite vow in his life. Can I tell somebody today, this often happens to second and third generation Christians who have reaped the blessings and benefits of their parents' and grandparents' devotions. I'm a member of this high-risk group of people, and my children are at an even greater risk without the, the blessings of God on their life. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to take very powerful spiritual truths for granted. I wish somebody get with this preacher this morning. If we're not careful, we'll begin to take sacred things and trample on them because we lose sight of where our strength comes from. We lose sight of where our power really comes from. Listen to me, apostolics. We need to hang on to Acts 2.38. We need to hang on to holiness and separation. We need to hang on to our private prayer life. We need to hang on to what it means to be truly apostolic. We need to understand where our power comes from. It doesn't come from programs. It doesn't come from our suit and tie. It doesn't come from our buildings. It doesn't come from our Mercedes. It comes from the Holy Ghost. And it comes from the Word of God. And we better fall in love with what matters over and over and over and over and over again. It's all right to clap your hands and give God praise even this early in the morning. We better love truth. We better love the Word. We better love our heritage. We better not despise sacred things. You know, sometimes old-fashioned things are powerful things. We shouldn't get, get a hold of our cultural way of making fun of old-fashioned things. Listen to me. Sometimes the old sacred paths are the right way to go, and we need to value the sacred things of God. New does not always mean better. Shiny does not always mean that it's going to work better. Sometimes it's a counterfeit that will destroy your life. Mm. Amen. All right. And so this is, a, this is the danger uh, oftentimes of being around. You don't even have to be second generation or third generation. Sometimes it can be a danger that happens just after a lifetime, a lifetime of being close, up close and personal with truth. You know, if we're not careful, we will lose the sacredness. We'll lose the value of things that we've been around for too long. You know, there's an old saying that says familiarity breeds disrespect. And that, that ought not to be so, but sometimes it is. And every once in a while, we need to stop and check our spirit and make sure that we haven't been around truth for so long that we don't love truth the way we did when we first got the Holy Ghost. 
Sometimes we need to stop ourselves and say, have I been around powerful apostolic worship so long that, that I've lost the respect for it that I once had? Every once in a while, we need to say, hey, am I ashamed to really be undignified and worship God the way he deserves? Or am I like Michael staring at David from an ivory tower, unwilling to go down and do what's necessary and required of me? Because familiarity can breed disrespect if we're not careful. It's the private battlefield of the mind that we have to guard against constantly. And the mind really is. It's a private battlefield. And it has to be fought and won on a daily basis. Someone said daily. On a daily basis for the Lord. Uh, It's not a battle that you can win once and then just leave it alone. It's a battle that you'll come back to over and over again. Because if we don't win those private battles, we'll wake up someday with the enemy upon us and Delilah beside us. And we'll shake ourselves as we've always done. Only to realize that God's glory has departed from us. I think we ought to lift up our hands right now and say, oh, God, Lord, I pray that we would be hungry for truth. I pray that we would be sensitive to your spirit, that we would guard our hearts and guard our minds in the name of Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Someone said private victories. Many times the most important victories that you'll fight and win are the ones nobody else knows about. It's the ones you fight completely on your own. I found in my own life that private battles and struggles often come at strange times. Anybody else ever found that to be true? Strange times. Almost immediately after winning that epic battle on Mount Carmel where the fire fell from heaven and the, all the prophets of Baal were, were killed in one fell swoop and it was just a powerful demonstration of God's presence and his, powerful, his power. Elijah was vindicated as a true prophet of God. You would think that this would be his most jubilant moment in his lifetime. You would think that this would be a moment for celebration uh, a moment for, for just kind of reveling in the victory. But instead, we see Elijah fleeing into a wilderness cave uh, because he hears the word that Jezebel is seeking to kill him. And, and here he is wrestling with severe depression and faithlessness. He even requested at one point that the Lord would take his life. He's almost at a place of feeling suicidal. His life is, his life is done. It's over. I've 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 reached the pinnacle. I've reached the end and and my uselessness has come to an end. I'm done. And I found that it's common for our minds to come under powerful spiritual attack immediately after experiencing the power of God. Can anybody else testify to that today? Am I all alone in that? I found in my life that when I come out of red hot apostolic church services... When I come out of red-hot apostolic revival. How many still believe in red-hot apostolic revival? I find when I come out of of red-hot prayer meetings. And by the way, if you've never been in one of our red-hot Tuesday night prayer meetings, you've really been missing out on a power source. I, I find myself coming out of times of extended prayer and fasting. When you would think that you'd be on a spiritual mountaintop. And oftentimes, those are the moments where my personal mind comes under tremendous spiritual and psychological attack. I don't think this is by coincidence. 
Because the enemy knows when you have, when you have encroached upon a power source. And the enemy knows when you're on the verge of a great victory. And the enemy knows when the battle is almost over. And he's going to come in with one final blitz attack. And he's going to hit you with everything that he's got. Can I encourage you in the Holy Ghost this morning? Just keep on holding on. Because if you'll stay faithful, your victory draweth nigh. I believe that this morning. And so this seems to be a, a common theme. If you, if you look at what happened uh, post-Jesus' baptism, look at what happened immediately after he was baptized by John the Baptist. I mean, doves, the dove descended from heaven and the voice of God was heard clearly by everybody. This was an undeniable supernatural experience. This was a highly spiritual moment. And immediately after all of these amazing things happened, Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be what? To be tempted of the devil himself. So even Jesus had to face and overcome private struggles And we are certainly no exception to that. If Jesus had to undergo this kind of intense spiritual warfare, how much more are you and I going to have to to suffer the attack of the enemy? How many know that we're going to suffer the attack of the enemy? How many believe that we ought to be ready for it? How many believe that we don't have to be intimidated by it or fearful of it because we can have victory? But each of us will have these moments when we're almost shaken. Now, I know that's scary to say. I know we don't like to say that out loud because that, uh, we, we like to put on a, a facade of invincibility. But all you have to do is look around at your fallen brothers and sisters to know that none of us are invincible. We're more than overcomers in Christ Jesus. But the moment we start trying to do it in our own strength and by our own talent and by our own uh, intelligence or whatnot or our own pseudo-spirituality, we are going to fail. If we'll stay rooted and grounded in Christ Jesus, then we're going to be overcomers. But what happens is many times is we start trying to wrestle against flesh and blood. We start trying to win battles through psychological means or we start trying to do it in the natural or in the physical. And you can't win spiritual battles in the natural or in the physical. You have to win spiritual battles spiritually. Someone said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And all of us have moments where we are almost shaken, where we're almost defeated. We're almost down for the count. And you know what's scary is most of the time, nobody knows how close you came because it was a private struggle. Many times we're too ashamed to even talk about it with our closest family, friends, maybe even our spouse. But we're hurting, we're wounded, we're fighting. There's a spiritual battle that's waging on and it's happening on the inside. Can I encourage you every once in a while you need to pull back the facade. Pride often keeps us from getting the victory in an altar that we need because we're so busy trying to look like we've got it all figured out that we won't come to an old-fashioned altar and let the Holy Ghost get a hold of us. Every once in a while you need to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Every once in a while you need to say, I don't care what anybody thinks. Jesus, thou son of David. 
David, have mercy on me, a blind man. Every once in a while, you've got to cry out the more a great deal and not worry about what the Pharisees say or the bystanders or the people who are so spiritual they don't have time for Jesus. Sometimes you've got to crawl to Jesus through the crowd and touch the hem of his garment if it's the last thing you do. And pride will keep you from doing that. And by the way, pride is that, is that horrible spirit of rebellion that originated in Satan himself. I don't have time to preach about that, but, but pride is a horrible, horrible, horrible thing that will destroy you in thousands of various ways. Pride will get a hold of your spirit and destroy you ten ways from Sunday. It really will. All right, in Psalm 73, 2 and 3, And then we'll skip down to verse 17. The psalmist said, But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. I had almost slipped. I mean, it was almost a done deal. For I was envious, notice this, at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Mm. Isn't that a powerful scripture? Let me skip you down to verse 17 for time's sake. Let me bring you to the resolution of all of these thoughts that the psalmist had. And you know it. It's familiar. He said, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. The psalmist said, it all made sense when I, once I got into the presence of the Lord. <laughs> Did you know there's just some things that will not make sense until you get into the presence of the Lord? There's some things you can use psychology, you can use logic, you can come at it in every, uh, in every way possible, every way known to man. You can use every thinking mechanism known, but until you get into the supernatural presence of God, It's just not going to make sense. Psalm 73 is a powerful passage. I encourage all of you to go back and just read that that whole portion of Scripture at length. Really take time and digest it. It's, to me, one of the most powerful passages you can read from the Psalms uh, in your own private study. In fact, one of the most unique things about the Psalms in general is how raw and honest they are when it comes to private battles and private struggles. But in this particular passage, the psalmist is describing a common emotional turmoil that Christians fall into even today. It's tempting to look at the rich billionaire who is a philandering playboy with no moral scruples or integrity and wonder how a man like that can seem so blessed while we can hardly pay the bills. Anybody ever felt that way before? (laughs) It must have been hard for David while he was already anointed to be the king of Israel to be hiding in a cave, scared for his life, while King Saul, who should have been his biggest fan, was trying to have him killed. David even had opportunity to kill him himself. But he wouldn't take the moral low ground. And he decided, it's not worth it to me to touch God's anointed. Some of y'all need to get that in your spirit this morning. There's times it's just not worth it to touch God's anointed. I don't care what he's done, it's not worth it. Because you open up a can of worms that you cannot close in your life. And David understood this. And sometimes we almost lose our footing because it seems as though the backslider who is living in open rebellion 
seems to be enjoying greater prosperity than those who are living faithfully before God. These are inner battles that rage uh, in the hidden recesses of our hearts and minds. And they're things that can only make sense, that can only be resolved in the presence of the Lord. He was struggling with all of these things until he understood their end. In other words, he he realized what, what the fruition of all of those things would be. The word of God reminded him that true happiness is eternal, not temporal. Someone said eternal. True happiness. Proverbs says it this way. There is a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof is death. Can we read that together? There is a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof is death. Sometimes sin seems profitable. Is that okay to say? Sometimes sin even looks like the right thing. And sometimes righteousness seems counterintuitive. Can I get an amen? (laughs) That's perfectly normal because although we are following Jesus and even though we're filled with the Spirit, we're still connected to these mortal, fallen, fleshly bodies that wrestle against its sinful nature. Because we're all born into sin and we all have the proclivity to commit sin. In other words... To be sinful is our natural default setting. How many know when you get a phone, it has, a, it has natural settings in it that it's just the way it is when it comes to you from the factory? And if you want to change it, sometimes you have to go inside and make changes to your phone uh, yourself. We're born into sin because of the fall. And so we're born with default settings. We're, we're born wired, so to speak, to sin. We're born, we're born wired to think wrong. And therefore, when we strive to be like Christ, when we strive to obtain his righteousness, when we follow after holiness and righteousness, we're doing that which seems contrary to our fallen nature. That's why the word of God is so vital to our relationship with God. It's the Holy Bible that gives us direction and truth and tells us how to please God and enter into fellowship with Him. That's why I calibrate my life to the Word of God and not to what feels right to me, not to what seems right to me. It's got to be more than emotion. I've got to have the Word of God to set direction and to set the agenda for my life. I want the Word of God to be a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet because without the Word of God, we're directionless. We need the Word of God. And sometimes we read the word of God and our fallen nature pushes against it. Our fallen nature doesn't like it. And now as you grow in the Lord and as you walk in the spirit, it becomes more and more natural as you become more and more like Christ. But especially if you're a new, uh, if you're a new person in Christ Jesus, there's things that are going to seem strange to you until you walk in the spirit and become more and more like the Lord. We need the word of God. How many are thankful for the word of God? How many are thankful for our pastor's tremendous teaching defending the word of God over the last several weeks? And I've been excited to watch uh, our internet. I I manage our our podcast, our very popular podcast here at Apostolic Tabernacle. And uh, I've been excited to see how many thousands of people have been listening to those sermons from our pastor defending the word of God. I think that's a powerful ministry that goes beyond the four walls of this church. How many are glad to have a ministry that goes beyond the four walls of the church? We need to get the word out, and we need to impact as many people as as we possibly can. So without the word of God, everyone said the word of God. 
we would all be seeking our own way without any kind of settled moral compass. And this, I think, is one of the great impasses that atheists and agnostics and and liberal Christians who reject biblical absolutes face. For example, I think most atheists would agree that murder is wrong and that rape is wrong, but they have no moral authority for making these assertions. Everybody still with me? The overall belief of the culture becomes the only basis for having any kind of right and wrong. So in other words, if the majority of culture says it's okay, and if you're your own God, then if the majority says it's okay, then it's okay. And if the majority says it's not okay, for example, if the majority were to say religion is evil, which, by the way, that's happened in many cultures. It's, it's happening in cultures right now. Uh, America's only a few generations away from that becoming the cultural norm if we don't have a great awakening and a revival. How many believe we need a revival in America? We need a nationwide revival. And, uh, and so if the culture were to say that religion is evil, as many people do say, then eventually religion would be viewed by culture as evil. And, uh, and I'm not trying to be an alarmist. I'm just, I'm just stating the way logic works according to the rules and standards of the world. And so any set of morals or principles that the atheist or the agnostic has has comes purely from within themselves. They have no moral authority higher than their own, which becomes tricky because they might say, well, murder is morally reprehensible. And then someone else might say, well, where do morals come from? And then they have no choice if they're being honest, but to say, well, they come from me. See how that can become shaky ground in a hurry because you're, you're the, your own basis for moral authority and for right and wrong. This is a very dangerous place to live, and it's certainly a scary foundation to build a society upon. And I believe that the reason America is what it is today is because it was founded upon biblical truths, biblical truths of freedom and worship and work ethic and values and all of those things. Am I saying it's perfect? Absolutely not. But I am saying that we need to get back to founding our society upon the truths of the word of God. God's word is where moral authority comes from. Without it, there is no basis for moral right and wrong. Okay, so we've been discussing how important it is that we fight and win private victories in our own lives and how the private battles are are won becomes an important thought for us today. So then the question becomes, how can I be prepared to win these private battles? How many want to win the battle? And the answer really, really is simple. You cannot win private battles without having strong private devotions. Everyone said private devotions. So the next principle is the principle of accepting responsibility for your own growth. Someone point at yourself and say, for my growth. Your attitude and your choices. All of us fall victim to unfortunate circumstances. We all go through sickness and crisis and pain and disappointment and loss, all of those things. We all have those natural things in this fallen world that we live in, but we're all still responsible for our responses to those circumstances. So what happens in us, everyone said in us, is more important than what happens to us. Everyone said to us. 
Uh, Dr. Pamela Butler said this. She said, there is a person with whom you spend more time than any other. A person who has more influence over you and more ability to interfere with or to support your growth than anyone else. This ever-present companion is your own self. Isn't that true? You know, we have the, we have the greatest capacity to change ourselves than anyone, anyone else. So learning to lead yourself is one of the most important things that you will ever do. If we, if we ever hope to be effective leaders of others, if we ever hope to win our community, if we ever hope to be soul winners, if we ever hope to be everything that God's called us to be, then we first have to be effective leaders of ourselves. Proverbs 25 and 28 says it this way. It says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. A city broken down or a city without walls is a city undefended and completely open to attack by the enemy. We cannot overcome the enemy unless we first overcome ourselves. So here are some private devotions that each of us really must discipline ourselves to maintain every day. Everyone said every day. And you know what's incredible to me as I pray about these things, as I think about them? Uh, in the end, it really does just come down again to the words of that that old song that well at least i used to sing in sunday school maybe maybe not all of us did but anybody remember we used to sing read your bible pray every day and you'll grow 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 anybody remember that in the end that really is i know that sounds overly simplistic and sometimes we hear that and say well that's a cop-out preacher but that really is what it comes down to if you only pray when you're in trouble then you're in trouble But if you cultivate a a prayer life where you have a daily relationship with God, then prayer is going to strengthen you. And when you come to a private crisis, when you come to a private battle, you're already going to have Jesus on the main line, as the old song used to say. And you're already going to have that strength. And you're already going to have that relationship where you can call on the name of Jesus. And you've already established that relationship with God. Where when you begin to call on His name, He begins to respond because you've already removed all the junk and you've already removed all of the obstacles between you and God. And when you cry out, he says, that's my child. That's my friend. That's somebody. I just spent time with them in the garden this morning. And when your prayer life is strong, you're going to have power when the crisis comes. You're going to have a a connection with God that is powerful, that is life-changing. Amen. The more you pray, the stronger you become. And by the way, you need the Word of God. You need the Word of God. The Bible says, 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Stand with me. I wish I had time to delve deeper into this. But earlier we saw how Jesus handled His private battle in the wilderness. He won that battle with the Word of God. And that's how you and I are going to win those battles as well. If we're already grounded in the Word of God, when the battle comes, it'll strengthen you over all of those things. I wonder, as we switch to the next part of the service, could we lift up our hands and ask the Lord to strengthen us to win the private battles that maybe nobody even knows about? Some of you right now are struggling with a private battle, maybe an addiction nobody knows about. Lord, right now, God, I pray that your Spirit would strengthen us. I pray that we would grow in the anointing and grow in the power of the Holy Ghost. We love you today, Jesus. We praise your name. We thank you for the tools you've given us. 
for your word. I pray that we would grow strong in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.